and then you can sit down the rest of the time. I know we're standing a lot. We do that around here. I want to quickly, while we're getting ready to look at Isaiah 22, 22, that's easy to remember. Uh, Wednesday night, we're going to be finishing our series on the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to be talking about how to be delivered from the evil one. Jesus said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so we're going to be talking about how to put on the armor of God and how to wage warfare in the spirit realm. And so don't miss Wednesday night. It's going to be good. All right, today I'm going to continue the series on turning points. Last week, they sold out of tapes, just sold out. And people took them everywhere. And, and uh, if you weren't here, maybe you would like to get that message. We went to East Texas and people in East Texas were talking about it because we had some East Texas spies here Sunday <laughs> and they got a tape and they took it back and it went, they, they spread it around out there. And so we talked about turning points to victory. And today I want to talk to you about turning points in God's guidance, turning points in God's guidance. Let's look at Isaiah 22, 22, then we're going to Revelations 3, 7. Look what Isaiah prophesies. He says, I will give him the key to the house of David. Now, I'm going to tell you who the him is in just a moment. I will give him the key to the house of David, the highest position in the royal court. When he opens doors, no one will be able to close them. When he closes doors, no one will be able to open them. Now, that sounds vaguely familiar, doesn't it? That's Old Testament. So we know it from Revelations 3.7. So let's jump to Revelations 3.7. And here is John writing to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. Look at your neighbor and say, no one's going to shut it. But what he closes, no one's going to open it. It works both ways. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that you will teach us this turning point to God's guidance. Lord, we are people under the guidance of God. Your people have always been subject to your guidance. Now, Lord, teach us some things about that divine guidance today. Now, can you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to my heart? I want your guidance in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you better perk up and listen. You're going to be guided today. <clears throat> it's a very, very natural thing to expect that God would be the God of our life. And I want to give you the context here. Um, this first verse out of Isaiah. In Isaiah 22, 22, here's what's happening. A man named Eliakim, Eliakim, was replacing Shebna, S-H-E-B-N-A, Shebna. Eliakim was replacing Shebna as the king's treasurer. Now, the key of David mentioned by Isaiah had to do with having total authority and sovereignty in David's house over the kingdom over the royal palace. When you had the key of David, you had the key to every door. 
But the main door was you had the key to the king's treasures. You had the key to the valuables. You had the key to the, where the riches were kept. You were the person with authority. Let's face it, church, we wouldn't be having church if somebody with a key had not let us in. So keys are crucial. And if you possess the key of David in Old Testament times, it was a huge honor, a huge trust of authority. And you could go anywhere in that house and nobody could go into a room unless you let them in. So you opened and no one shut and you shut and nobody opened. That's the power of a key. The, the authority enjoyed by the person who had the key of David was very, very similar to what Joseph enjoyed as second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. Pharaoh said, whatever Joseph tells you to do, you do it. Wherever he tells you to go, you go. And when he goes walking by, you bow. He was second only to Pharaoh. If you had the key of David, you had control of the house of David. And that's what Eliakim was being given. Now, follow me. Eliakim was a type of Christ. We see that by the very fact that John in Revelations 3, 7 makes reference to Isaiah 22, 22. Eliakim was a type of Christ. As Eliakim held the key to David's house in the physical sense, we're told by John in Revelations that Jesus holds the key of David in the spiritual arena. What a powerful Savior we serve. He holds the key to the spiritual house of God. What is it? It's the church. If you're a member of the church and you're not a member by coming down here and filling out a card, you're a member by being born again. You're a member of the church of God by being redeemed. But if you're a member of the church by being redeemed, then Jesus is the door opener and the door closer of your life. He holds the key of David. Where, where Eliakim had it physically, Jesus has it spiritually. I want you to say with me, Jesus is Lord over the doors of my life. Very, very important. And Jesus tells us in Revelations 3, 7, by speaking straight to John, by direct revelation, Jesus tells John, I have the key of David. I'm the fulfillment of the one that was to come. I open and nobody shuts. And if I shut it, nobody can open it. I hold the key to the doors of your life. Now, this means several things to us today as primarily people, most of us in here today, have given our hearts to Jesus, have had a born-again experience, have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so what does this mean to us that he holds the key to the house of David? Well, let me just tell you some things. First of all, Jesus alone holds the key to the spiritual house in general. That is, he holds the key to the door of salvation. He holds the key to the door of the real church. Jesus holds the key. The spiritual house of David is the church. It's you. You are the spiritual house of David. And Jesus holds the key that gets you into that house. You can't get into that house unless Jesus unlocks the door. 
You can't get into that house unless Jesus makes a way. He holds the key initially to becoming a part of the spiritual house of David or of the church. Now, how do you get him to open that door? Let me be very, very clear today. You cannot walk through the door of salvation unless he who holds the key unlocks it for you. And how is it unlocked? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the minute that you do that, the minute that you say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you were crucified for my sins. I believe you were buried and on the third day rose again. The minute you say that, the holder of the key to the house of David unlocks the door for you. And you walk in. Jesus said, I'm the door of the sheepfold. I'm the one who unlocks it. I'm the way in. And church, let me be clear, being a Baptist, being a Methodist, being a charismatic, being an interdenominational church member, being a Catholic, being a Presbyterian, being an assembly of God, being Pentecostal holiness, none of those things save you. There are lost people in churches all over America. And you think by coming in, sitting in a chair, it makes you a Christian. No, it does not. Sit in your garage for a year. You will not become a car. You can sit here till the cows come home, but it doesn't save you. You've got to go through the door and the holder of the key, according to Revelations 3, 7, is only one. There's only one holder of one key. It's the master key. It gets you into the house. It opens the door. And there is no other way. And there is no other savior. There is no other blood. There is no other way. Not Muhammad. Not Buddha. Not Confucius. Nobody has that key but Jesus. And when you say, I believe in you, I repent, he unlocks that door. He unlocks that door. And thank God that he's got the key. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, have you done that? And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall have the door open. The, you will hear the key go into the slot and you'll hear it turn and you'll hear that key open the door and suddenly you have peace with God. Suddenly there is a weight lifted off of your shoulders. You are whisked from death to life, from lost to found from hell bound to heaven bound, when you call on that name. But once you're in the spiritual house of David, having been saved by his blood, Jesus then becomes the Lord of the doors of your life. He's Lord over the doors of your life. He says, I open and no man can shut. I shut and no man opens. He was talking to the church. I'm going to be the Lord over the doors in your life. I'm going to open doors for you. I'm going to shut doors for you. He opens doors of opportunity for ministry for you. I guarantee you this week, somewhere, at some time, Jesus was there as the door opener for you. He opened a door of opportunity.
He opened a door of some kind for you. Wisdom and discernment come when you see and recognize the doors He's opening and you sense the nudge in your heart. There is a door I've opened for you. He opens doors of opportunity for ministry in His kingdom. He opens doors of opportunity for business. He opens doors of opportunity for relationships. I believe in divine encounters. I do not believe there are mistakes in the lives of a child of God. I don't believe that. I believe God opens doors of divine encounter. And He will link you with somebody who plays a part in God's destiny in your life and you in theirs. Be sensitive because God's a God of divine encounters. He's a door opener. He said, I've got the key to the house of David. You pray to me and I open that door. I believe God orchestrates open doors all the time for His people. Paul wrote in one place, he said, a great and effective door has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. In another place, he wrote to the Corinthian church and said, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel, a door of opportunity was opened to me by the Lord. He opens doors of opportunity. And he says, hey, look at that. I've opened a door. Step through it. Seize the opportunity. Don't let it go by. If you miss it, it may not ever open again. Take it. I've opened a door of opportunity. He can open a door for you in a million different ways. Open a door to a school. People say, how'd you get in there? It had to be the Lord. He opens doors. When you pray, you have not because you ask not. Say, if you're looking at an impossibility, you don't know but what the door opener may be able just to turn that key and open that door for you. Believe that God is able. Nothing is impossible with God. No door is impossible to God. In many places throughout the Bible, you see God, you see the Lord Jesus Christ, the New Testament particularly, Jesus Christ opening doors for His people. You ought to get excited. That's why when you wake up in the morning, you ought to say amen and not oh me. Because who knows what's going to open up that day? Who knows what God is going to make available to you that day? That's why you ought to be excited. Our God is a God of destiny. He's a God of purpose. He's a God of the future. He's a God of doors. And he'll open doors you could never have walked through on your own. You could bang on them, kick them, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, try to get through. But unless he opens it, it's not going to open. But if he opens it, nobody can shut it. But now today, I don't want to focus so much on open doors as I do shut ones. What do you do when the same Jesus closes a door that you just knew you were going to walk through? What do you do? How do you respond to the Lord Jesus? How do you look up to God and how do you get a grip on it when that door of opportunity in business or ministry or relationship closes? Have you ever had a bloody nose from being so close to the door when it shut, it hit you? Some of you got bloody noses here today. Some of you got a knot on your head. Some of you got your fingers caught in that door when it closed. And you're wondering, why in the world did this door close? I just knew it was going to open. I just knew God was going to make a way. I just knew that was my door. What do you do when God closes the door? Can I tell you something from the Word of God and from experience today? A shut door. When it's God who shut it, 
is good news. It's good news. It's a blessing disguised as a disappointment. It's a setup masquerading as a setback. When God shuts a door, I guarantee you, walk away. The day will come you'll look back and say, thank God, thank God. He shut that door. Because Jesus said, I am he who opens and no man shuts, but I'm also equally he who shuts and no man opens. I guarantee you today when God shuts a door, he did you a favor. When God shuts a door, well, let me just talk about it a little bit. Y'all let me talk about shut doors today. How many of you ever had a door shut on you? Come on, put your hands up high. How many had one shut and it really surprised you? How many have a bloody nose today? Boy, look at all these people. Praise God that I know I'm hearing God on this. Now, let me tell you three things that a shut door can indicate. First one, it indicates the protection of God. A shut door indicates the protection of God. One day, a prophet named Balaam was recruited by the Moabites to come and curse Israel. This was one of God's prophets, Balaam. And he's called to curse Israel. The enemies of God were the Moabites. And they sent money to Balaam to try to seduce him and induce him to curse Israel. Because they knew that what he cursed was cursed and what he blessed was blessed because he was a prophet of God. And it says in the Bible that two times he told them no, but he made a fatal mistake the second time. He said no, but then he second thought it and he said, well, maybe, maybe God will change his mind because God had already told him, don't go. Don't you dare go with them and curse your own people. And so he heard God told him, I can't do anything that God has not told me to do. But the second time he thought maybe God would change his mind. And so Balaam began to follow the Moabites back to the place where the king of the Moabites was that he might possibly curse Israel. As he went his way, the Bible says God sent an angel. And the angel stood in the path that he was going down. He was riding a donkey. And as he was riding this donkey, suddenly an angel stood in the path to stop him. Balaam didn't see the the, the angel but the donkey did. Now, let me tell you something today. It's a bad day for your spiritual discernment when your donkey sees something in God that you don't. That's a bad day. That's a bad day. So the donkey saw the angel. And so the donkey stopped right there and wouldn't move, leaned up against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot. And so he began to beat this poor donkey. Come on, get going. I've got to, maybe I'm going to get some money out of this. And money was driving him. Always follow the money. So the donkey kept fighting and he kept beating her and beating her. Finally, the Bible says the donkey just laid down like a car out of gas. And here's Balaam on top of the donkey And Balaam starts to beat the donkey again. And the Bible says that God moved on the donkey, opened her mouth, and she began to talk. (laughs) If you're hearing your donkey talk, I want you to come talk to me (laughs) after church. 
But the donkey, under the anointing of God, began to talk. And the donkey said, have I ever treated you this way before? Sounds like a woman. <laughs> or a man, or a man. Well, I'm going to have to get out of this one quick. <laughs> but can you imagine the donkey says, have I ever treated you this way before? You know that I've never disobeyed you like this. This is literally the donkey talking to the prophet. You can imagine what his servants were going through. And the Moabites who came to get him. This dude's crazy. You want him cursing Israel? But he begins to have a conversation with this donkey. And he admits, no, you've never treated me this way before. And he said, he said but if I had a sword, I'd kill you right now. Then God opened his eyes. And he saw the angel and he fell on his face and he began to worship God. And the Lord spoke to him and said, Surely if your donkey had not stopped you from going on in your plan, I would have killed you by now. Everybody say, Oh, me. I'd have killed you by now. What was the shut door? Protection. That shut door was a divine turning point that saved his life. And that's what a shut door can be. And I think more times than not, that's what they are. They are divine protection. They are divine turning points. They are divine detours to, to spare you pain. And that's why God says, when I shut it, you can hit it, kick it, speak over it. I'm not going to open that door. When God shuts a door, God shuts it in love. God is love. He can't operate outside of love. God sees the end of something before the beginning begins. He sees the end of something before it even starts. When you begin that relationship, God already sees the end. When you begin that job, He already sees the end. When you begin walking down that road, He already sees the end. When you start out to arrive at a place, God's already arrived at your arrival. He's already waiting for you to get there. And He knows exactly what you're going to experience on that road. And sometimes in His love, He shuts the door. And it's divine protection. And I guarantee you, you'll look back someday at that person or that place or that thing and you'll say, oh, thank God. He knew enough to shut that door. He knew enough to shut that door. Everybody say with me, thank God for shut doors. Now the second thing a shut door can indicate is the timing is wrong. The timing is wrong. Every purpose of God for our lives has a timer attached to it. God has a purpose for you and you and you and you, all of you. There is a purpose with your name on it. And there's a timer attached to it. And what we've got to come to understand is delay is not denial. Not necessarily. Every purpose of God has a timer attached to it and you can't rush it, you can't force it, you can't twist God's arm, you can't pity party your way into it. 
because God's got a timing for every purpose. I can guarantee you. And I'll guarantee you another thing. It's not your timing. It's not when you would do it because you want what you want now. God says, I'm smarter than that. I'm going to show you my purpose, but then I'm going to have to get your character caught up to the ability that you can handle the purpose when it arrives. Because I've got something great for you, astonishing for you, marvelous for you, mind-numbing for you. I believe in the God of purpose. And God says, I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and to give you a hope. And God's future for you is so bright, you need to put sunglasses on to look at it. Do you believe that? I see some of your faces. Well, pastor, I don't feel very blessed and very anointed and very called. I don't know what the purpose for me could be. I'm kind of in a rut. Life's kind of a drag. Well, I'm going to tell you, seek God with all your heart. Seek him. Here's why. Because he holds the key. And when he sees you seeking him, he's got the key that fits in the lock that unlocks your future destiny in him. And it's not in you, it's in him. He holds the key to the house of David. He's your door opener. He's your door shutter. And if you want to know what God custom designed you to do and to be, then just seek the maker, seek the designer. Don't seek the purpose. Seek the one who came up with the purpose. Seek the designer, not the design. And God will unlock that door. A pregnant woman knows she's carrying a baby. She wants that baby. She anticipates hearing that baby's voice, hearing that baby's giggle, holding that baby in her arms. She anticipates it. She can't wait for it. She's longing to look at that baby in the eye, but she knows there's a timer attached. Nine months. So instead of worrying about trying to make that baby come prematurely, that woman begins to prepare the room. She begins to make things ready for the purpose, the baby that is coming. Where is she? Laura, come here, Laura. Come here. I asked her if I could do this. Do you think that she's pregnant. Now, the reason I have her here is I want you to see sideways. She's got six weeks to go. And you know how I feel spiritually? Just like that. I'm pregnant with a vision. I'm pregnant with a vision. And what is she doing? Well, she's going to have a baby, but she got six weeks to go. I guarantee you they bought the clothes. Do you know that this week in the sonogram, they saw the baby blink? And the doctor said, I haven't seen this hardly ever. And the doctor looked again and again. There's that baby blinking. And your vision's blinking at you. Your vision's blinking at you. Your vision is saying, I can't wait. I want to see you and I want you to see me. I'm on the way. I'm blinking at you. I'm moving in you. I'm talking to you. Oh, Lord, don't let her fall while I'm taking her down. Everybody say, that's the way I feel spiritually. 
When God shuts a door, it may be because the due date hasn't arrived. The due date hadn't arrived. But here you are spiritually. Boy, I, I want to see a bunch of people waddling into church. I've got a vision. I've got a dream. It's blinking at me. It's talking to me. It's moving in me. And it's got a due date. <laughs> you never know what you're going to see here when you come to church. Last week, I put sunglasses on. Today, I've got a pregnant woman on the stage. And she's saying, I said, do you mind if I do this, Laura? And she said, no, I don't care. Now, when she tells me she got six weeks to go, that makes me hurt. It's like, oh, Lord, help her. And bless her poor husband, Paul. He's the piano player up here. When God shuts a door, it may be because it's a delay, but not a denial. You know a vision has been conceived in you by the Holy Spirit. You're pregnant with that vision. But instead of that door opening, it has shut. And you're wondering, what's the deal? You know, the Bible is filled with the stories of people who experience a shut door. Let me just tell you quickly of two of them. Moses. Moses had a vision of delivering Israel. But he tried to make that vision be born prematurely. And he killed a man. And after he killed this man in defending an Israelite, he had to flee the far side and backside of a desert for 40 years to wait for the true due date. And one day God spoke out of a burning bush and he was released and went and delivered Israel. Abraham had a dream of a son who would carry on the promise that God, God had made to him that he would be the blesser of all the nations of the earth. But Abraham got tired of waiting for the due date. And so he had sexual relations with Hagar, birthed Ishmael, which brought trouble on his whole house. Years later, Isaac came through Sarah, and that was the promise. And Isaac on one hand, and Ishmael on the other. Ishmael, the work of the flesh. Isaac, the work of faith. Ishmael, the work of unbelief. Isaac, the child of promise, and the child of flesh, and the child of promise battled because you can't have the flesh and have faith in the same house. They will always conflict. And then finally, both men, both men realized they had misinterpreted shut doors. They later learned that delay is not denial but it's the time to prepare for what's coming. Now, the third thing a shut door indicates is a new direction you don't know about yet. A new direction you don't know about yet. So you're saying, I think that's my door. And you're banging on that door. You were headed to that door. You were about to walk through that door and suddenly it's shut. You're saying, what in the world? I don't understand it. And you're not alone. Paul, the apostle, and Silas in the second missionary journey experienced exactly the same thing. Exactly. In the book of Acts, we're told that as they were going along, they went to preach the word in Asia. 
But it says the Holy Ghost forbade them. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit telling you to not preach the gospel? The Holy Spirit said, don't preach in Asia. And so they stopped. They said, what in the world? It was a shut door. We've walked all this way. We've done all this work. We've prayed all these prayers. And we're here to preach. And God shuts the door. Inexplicable. Incomprehensible. How can this be? It looks right, feels right, it ought to be right. Then they said, well, let's try Bithynia. So they turned to Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit stopped them again. Now they're perplexed, dazed, and confused. We're on a second missionary journey. We're here to preach the gospel, and everywhere we turn, the door shuts. We got bloody noses. And finally... Paul goes to sleep one night and he has a vision and there's a man and the man's in Macedonia and he says, come help us. Help us. Paul woke up and said, we're going to Macedonia, a long journey from where they were. But they went to Macedonia and the Philippian church was born out of that. Somebody, when God shuts the door, somebody is waiting for you to arrive at where God's going to ultimately take you. Hmm? A shut door can indicate the protection of God or wrong timing or God has a better plan, and you don't know about it yet. How many of you know when God shuts the door, He opens a window? Can we stand together? Can you say with me, when God shuts a door, it's out of love, protection, and for my ultimate good. Give Him a hand of praise, can you? Thank you, Lord.